Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking about, again, guess what? Digital transformation, but there's a new take. And we've got as our guest today, uh, Dunkelo, who is head of global supply chain of the Campari Group, and James Absalon, who is group CEO of Walter James. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi. Hi, Maria. Hi, Maria. James. So, so why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves because the audience doesn't know who you are. So tell us a little bit about yourselves, maybe some of your background, and then we'll dive straight in. Hey, first, James. Or? Yeah, as always. Go Dunk. ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Dunk. Go ahead. You know that's not the truth. You know yeah. that's not the truth. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I've been, uh, what was it now, probably 30, 30 something years uh, in, in well, broadly in supply chain. Uh, I've had uh, decent spells in sales, uh, finance, uh, M&A, but, but essentially a career built in supply chain, uh, predominantly in FMCG and predominantly in food and drink. So that's sort of my my uh, my sort of background in, in, in business. I guess if you sort of uh, want to know what, what specialisms have you got to become the head of supply chain, um, I, I'm uh, predominantly, if you feel like manufacturing, but I've spent a lot of time uh, in manufacturing, leading people. I think that's where I've, I've cut most of my leadership skills in, in manufacturing. But then, you know, in, in broader roles, I've got good uh, good experience in logistics, planning planning systems, uh, in in and in procurement, R and D, uh, and uh, you know, effectively now I cover the full end to end supply chain uh, for Campari at a global level. So, uh, you know. Plenty of other experiences in previous businesses, but uh, I think but that's, you've probably, got a wide... that's, probably, that's yeah. probably sufficient for now. James? Okay. James, what about you? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Maria. Thanks for having us uh, on today. Um, so I'm not uh, a supply chain professional, but I've been working in the sort of supply chain space now. I'm with individuals like Dunk for coming up to about 10 years. Um, we are a executive search and advisory consultancy with a specific focus within the end-to-end supply chain space um light dunk uh, you know we have covered other areas but predominantly within fmcg uh retail and, and sort of wider consumer um but i think where we particularly focus is on people you know the dynamics of a changing world of supply chain cultural fit of organizations and how we actually work as a sort of collegiate group of supply chain individuals rather than just a, a group of individual experts. Um, so really excited to be on today to, to talk a bit about our experiences together. Well, really, you're at the forefront of what companies are looking for for supply chain leadership as well. Both of you are, really. Um, okay, I'm going to dive straight in because all of our podcasts for a while, we've been talking about digital transformation. And, and obviously, everyone's talking about digital transformation. But, Doug, let me start with you. Do you think that the whole conversation focus on digital transformation or transformation in general is distracting supply chain leaders from core competencies? Yes. <laughs> well, podcast is over. Thank you very much for being here. <laughs> All right, no, no, expand. I, I, it's good. So, I mean, I think James and I, have, have, have we've talked about this for some time because I think, I know James will probably come on a bit later to talk about you know, the, the, the challenges he gets in people demanding digital transformation skill sets, if you like, you know, and you, you start to answer the questions, what is a digital transformation? As a supply chain leader, what is a digital transformation skill set? And I think, you know, the, the short answer, yes, to, to your question, the longer answer uh, we, we, we can bat around now from my perspective is that, that clearly, I think you have to understand or you have to get comfortable 
with what digital transformation means and not really be sucked into an environment where, you know, almost it's been led by, by let's say, external parties who've got an interest in, in, in creating the noise and creating the drama around it. If you think about what digital transformation is, it's, it's actually not new. It's been around for tens of decades. It's just data. It's how you manage data. And so if you go back 30 years, you know, I, as, a, as a junior process engineer, I was, I was, I was managing management information systems on plants, in, in lines. And it might have been coming up as a clock with some numbers on that you had to manually write something down. But in essence, you know, creating data to then do something with data, to make decisions with data. I mean, I think just after I joined as a, as a graduate SPC, statistical process control, was at the heart of everything that we were doing in, in, in manufacturing, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And SBC is, is effectively digital. It's data that you, that you have something that does something with the data to help you make better decisions. And I think look to today, you know, yes, really all that's happened is data is much more abundant from much, much, much greater sources, faster, more readily available. Yes, with, with technology and algorithms and computers that can give you instantaneous results and fantastic, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's say control tower screens and, and, and visibility. But the reality is the decisions and the things that you're doing haven't changed. You know, the, the fundamentals of supply chain, whether it be demand, supply planning, manufacturing, logistics, they're still the same issues as they were 35 years ago. And digital transformation, you know, you have to be selective in, in, in the technology, whether it's affordable, to decide whether what you have available today is the technology in digital transformation is, is giving you the answer that you can do something with. So, I mean, I, I guess my, my point is that, you know, supply chain leaders like myself, it's not a question of ignoring digital transformation. You can't ignore it because it's, it's simply yeah. the latest evolution. But what you need to do is not be afraid of it. It's nothing that you've not dealt with in the past. It's just hopefully James will, will be able to share about you know the expertise is not necessarily just supply chain leaders, but you know we you know we, we're moving towards data scientists. We're moving towards reporting analytics experts who are providing this data in a format to a supply chain leader that is the almost the simplest format you used to get, but it's just faster, better, more accurate, and more informative to make you better decisions. But I don't know, James. Uh... James, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you've said. I think for me, because every time I talk about this, due to the nature of the sector that I'm in, I think of everything through a people lens, right? And I don't necessarily yeah. always think of it through what's best for company performance. I think what's best for people's careers, what's best for their development, what's best for, you know, collaboration, uh, leadership. And I think that my worry with digital is absolutely agree it, it is needed you know, we're not going to get away from it it has its advantages but as you say dunk it's something that needs to be embraced to actually enable better people collaboration rather than replace it and i think that what we have now got a bit of a you know internal psyche of is that you have numerous supply chain professionals predominantly the ones at the sort of director senior director level of their career that feel that unless they are you know, shouting from the rooftops that they have an A star and all things digital, they're not going to get the chief supply chain officer role in 2030. Mm -hmm. And I think that whilst some of that may be true, you know, the world of digital will just need experts to come in and make sure that the content is there, but there will always be the need to be great with people and great with leaders. And I see many companies obsess over 
you know, getting people in from an Amazon or getting someone from a Dunhumby or somebody from, you know, a Netflix or an Uber or whatever it might be that are digital first, great user experience, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, the mistakes that I've seen being made in supply chain is that unless you understand the value chain from, you know, from ground to customer, the whole end-to-end journey and what that looks like, um, I think you could be in trouble. I mean, I personally would still always put somebody that understands the sector, the products, the customer, the market, that well, can course. actually add digital to it before somebody that, that is just a digital native. Does that make sense? So I guess- Yeah, just- completely. I mean, it's 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 started trip, but it's like you, you can have all the fancy toys and bells and whistles and amazing things, but if you don't understand the core competencies of, you know, like you say, end-to-end supply chain strategy, you're still going to fail, right? Yeah, just, I mean, because- good, just quickly, Dunk, on that point, so yeah. the strategy one's a really interesting one, because as you know, Dunk, in supply chain, depending on what business you're in, you either have a very centralized model, a very decentralized model, you either have everything running the markets or somebody yep. centrally is saying this yep. is what we should be doing. And I don't disagree or agree that one's better than the other. I think it depends on each company. But my point is, is that the danger you have is when somebody in HQ that more often than not sits next to the powers that be in the big commercial roles or the CFO or whatever it might be, they have all the big ideas of whispering into this sort of leadership's ear. And then the people in the markets have their issues which are not visible to the central teams. And whilst they're getting the pressure to just deploy advancement and digital and data and robotics and automation, you know, you can't build a house of cards, right? You've got to make sure yeah. that the core fundamentals of the supply chain still work every day before you add to that. And I think this is something I'm really interested to get your perception of done because it's about timing, right? And about really making sure it's the right time to do that to your business. No, you bang on, James. I mean, I think if I draw a parallel, you know, because, you know, I think if you look where where digital probably in terms of the, the latest evolution of digital in the marketing side, probably was, well, at least at least at the same time as supply chain, but but probably even in advance in that the the analytics and data available through the Googles through 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 the the various you know digital platforms, be it the Facebooks, Instagrams, whatever, has enabled consumer data to be much more readily you know available, faster, more accurate, more concise, you know, packaged into a way that's allowing marketeers to spend money more effectively, to target consumers more effectively. And if I look at what's happened to the marketeers, yes, it's not a question of some other department has created data. You know, we marketeers themselves have had to adjust from, I, I, I focus on spending my time developing traditional TV, you know, or, or, or paper versions of, of, of marketing solutions to, I need to direct my working spend of marketing, you know, uh, to, 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 to much more on digital platforms. But, but in essence, you know, it, at its heart, the tools, when I look at what the tools that have been developed, they're still not marketeers going and developing the tools and the, and the digital, you know, the digital platforms that are being used, or the people are helping them access that data to give the, the marketers who are already, already good at, you know, you know, connecting with consumers, being able to, uh, to to sort of, you know, transfer information about our products to consumers just in a slightly different way. As in supply chain, all that's happening with, you know, digital, uh, uh, digital, I mean, just skim through LinkedIn. Every, every day you skim through LinkedIn, some big 
companies shouting about digital. But when you go down to it, I was looking at one from one of my previous companies yesterday. When I went down to it, it was just a, another computer, computer system on a desktop in a in a manufacturing facility, giving slightly better data about what was happening on the line. I mean, you know, it wasn't. It's not sort of rocket science that's suddenly mm. been developed. And I think, you know, just, but just to answer your question, so, so that the reality is the people, the supply chain leaders in those, whether manufacturing, logistics, and planning, still need to have 90% core capability in leading people, in decision-making, you know, in, 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 in managing complexity, in managing agility, and not be too distracted by the latest gadget to give them that solution. That gadget will not give them the answer if yeah. they were no good at leading in the first place. Well, let, let me throw a bit of a curveball in here because I'm a massive fan of transparency and we're doing this to sort of really educate and give people visibility of all of our experiences, right? So one of the big things that I see speaking to people at your level as well, Dunk, all the time is there is a huge um, fear of missing out unless they are absolutely showing that they are embracing and doing everything that McKinsey or BCG or whoever it might be are publishing on a daily basis. But in reality, I do just worry that there are so many people that will do the wrong things to try and advance their career for fear of missing out versus what's best for them. I mean, I'm interested, Doug, to get your perception of you know, you've been in supply chain a long time uh, and we've discussed many times. Oh, there's a nice dog in the background there, Marit. Yeah, she's just lazy. She, she, she's not going to participate in the podcast. Uh, she's she's um, lazy. Mine's but, but hold on, before, before you finish asking the question, because I want to jump in and talk about something that you just said, which is this fallacy, maybe this distraction or, or obsession with skill sets. I mean, I, I speak with some supply chain leaders who are telling me, should I take courses? Should I take courses in Python and coding and this? So is there a danger that there's going to be this fixation on the wrong skill sets, uh, it, whether it's being driven by the big name consultants, you know, or it's being driven by the boards looking for digital people? And how do we get out of that? How, how do we change that? I mean, my, my, my view is that the, you leave the real innovation and groundbreaking technology piece to the expert. And I think that I would always agree there is a place for these individuals to come in and educate and give options to leaders around how much they want to take from that and implement into their business. It's not saying you have to do all this or your company will fail because it's just not true. But at the same time, I think there needs to be almost a menu that people, mm. I think it's great to have that in the market is what I'm saying. You know, it's a yeah. definitely needed thing. But the point is, is when, you know, without mentioning who the clients are, there's some FTSE 30, Fortune 500 clients that I work with, that at the start of a briefing for a new senior vice president, they will say, we want to have somebody that has full end-to-end supply chain experience, but has grown up in a digital native world. What does that actually mean? Well, who is that? We're, we're looking for like a 12-year-old. Well, we're I, looking I think, for a 12-year-old. You know, yeah. yeah. well, exactly right. It's like, you know, is it, well, you know, what do you mean? Was it the first person that came with the iPhone? Or, well, I had an iPod back in 1990 yeah. or whatever. But I, I think, you know, it, it's a great it's a great point, James. And I, I think that the... Um, the way to... The, the, the way to... For me, the way to, the, way to, the way to frame it up is is that if you can... You need innovators in the marketplace. Somebody needs to be the innovator. Yeah, I mean, somebody needs to be exploring the cutting edge. It's like you know, thank God somebody went to the moon in the sixties. You know, to, to to then you know, but not everybody needed to go to the moon. 
somebody needed to do to do something like that. and i think this is the same in any industry that that you you find innovators and clearly some of the bigger uh people that you deal with james you know one of your big clients that we both both know i mean clearly they've got some capacity to learn and test in some things they don't necessarily aren't going to pay back in a in a digital world you know they could go and try fancy you know headsets i mean i, I know because three four years ago we were trialing you know 3d headsets to virtual to, reality. To, to virtual yeah. reality headsets to to envision how a new manufacturing line would look it was fantastic but ultimately it didn't really much. I mean, it didn't really sort of add any significant value, but it was fantastic to look at the technology. And the reality is somebody needs to be trying that because eventually there will be, be something. It'll lead but to something. The, but, but the point I think you're making, James, is that what happens is that sort of the best of those innovating things whether it's 3D printing, you know, whether it's you know, whether it's whether it's virtual reality headsets, whether it's, uh, I mean, I, I've been to the BCG, you know, factory of the futures in in Paris and other places where they set up all this technology, and they've got production lines where you know images of cameras are looking at components and identifying which components been put on incorrectly, or you know, a maintenance person can go up and press a button and give them the next maintenance steps with a visual display play being thrown on the screen that's all it's not you know it's, it's not far out technology it's all there today but the reality is when you go and look and say well so how much is this tool to put the camera and the whatever you know x million you know when you look you, you apply that across all your factories you soon come down to even when my previous big fmcg business what appears as a fantastic benefit when somebody from a, a big consultancy comes to the main board and, and says, if you go digital, here's the value you can describe as 10% or it's 15% of your cost base. Of course, it, it's hundreds of millions. Mm. So it looks fantastic until you get down to the fact you're going to spend hundreds of millions or more to get to some of these savings. And some of them you can never achieve. So, But, but you, Dunk, is it, sorry, is, is it actually going to derive, give value to the customer? Did I mean, is it, it actually will. going... Okay. Yeah, no, some of it will. I mean, you know, you, you, there are clearly some elements of digital, I mean, some elements of managing data with more, with faster computing, with better visuals and better better access that ultimately will, for example, give you higher confidence in the quality of your product. There's a consumer benefit. You know, I mean, James mentioned it earlier. Robotics are sometimes packaged up in digital. I don't. I never think of robotics as digital. Because robotics, again, have been around for 30 years. You know, the car industry was using it 35 years ago to spray and to spot weld. And all, all F packaging, is, FMCG has done, has taken that and, and, and deployed it into their back end of, of manufacturing sites. And it saved people, it saved money. So, yes, is the consumer going to benefit? Yes. I mean, if you look at the price inflation of, 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 of products and food, it's probably come down over that period of time. So the consumer has benefited by automation um, and, and, and digitization over time. I think it's the selective nature of supply chain leaders having the confidence, as James, you know, perhaps as James is saying, having the confidence as a leader to look into your world and say, what will work? What's the new technology that will work for me? And then then and then getting some value from it. Rather than being scared that, you know, I have to come from Amazon and I have to have these little robot things going across my warehouses or I have to have, you know, some very complicated uh, back-end ERP systems providing data. I mean, you know, that's that's not what you should be scared Dunk, of. Dunk, I also think that there's one key word that we've not talked about yet, which is the, the biggest 
success factor or failure factor, which is change management. And yep. I think that, you know, whilst we're talking about will it benefit the customer on the back, on, on the output side and on the input is the new technology, the whole piece in between that is change management. And I think that I almost look at modern supply chain leaders, good ones, as almost like, you know, football managers or conductors, whatever it might be. You know, there's a squad or there's a huge group that you can choose for, but depending on the audience, you might bring different players or different, you know, musicians each time depending on the acoustics of the arena depending on the size of the conditions of the game whatever it might be and, and what I mean by that is that ultimately what I see the best people that I attract to that I'm most attracted to in regards to wanting to work with are the ones that can build followership and yeah. really help people augment their learning agility and, and, and sort of take them on a journey because at the end of the day you know as well as I do that, okay, the top level, such as yourself and your peers, are all aligned. Ironically, the graduate and entry level and the millennials, they've got it all aligned because they are digital natives. Yeah. There's then this group of people born between 1970 and, you know, 1985, let's say, that have no real um, desire to change because they've worked this way for 20 years and they're great operators. And it's an interesting word, Dunk, because we talk about this a lot. Do you want an operator? Do you want a blue sky thinker? You know, do you want somebody that can do a bit of both? And, you know, at the end of the day, there is always going to be a place for an operator in a business that gets results, that's hands-on, that knows how to sort of get their hands dirty. But at the same time, the change management element of being a leader to bring the best out of those people and make them work in harmony with the sort of big picture thinkers, that's for me the absolute formula for success around any digital transformation because it takes both sides to make it work, right? So we're saying that the you know fixation on having digital and techie and sort of living and breathing that technology is important, but more important are the softer skills of leadership and change management and really understanding the end-to-end -end supply chain. Going back to my original question, which started off this conversation, is this a distraction? You know, how much of a distraction is this? How do we unpick this distraction? I think it's a, it's a so originally my yes so i think it is a distraction just to talk about digital transformation i think if if you can if you can i mean J james is right i mean you know i have now i've worked with him for 10 years and whenever we're recruiting people senior executives into supply chain i don't think i, I don't think i've ever asked you for digital i don't know i've never asked for digital. the the, the skill sets the competencies uh, of the people, you know, vary from business to business that we've been in, you know, because you're matching teams of people and skill sets to the capability of the organization. If you think about the maturity of an organization, it's very different from, 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 you know, one business to another, not, not even just scale. I mean, you know, from a, from a, you know, one FMCG to another FMCG, the, the, the type of people and the way people work, and therefore the leadership skills and the competencies vary quite, 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 quite a bit. And I think, you know, the distraction of digital is to become obsessed with trying to actually, you know, work at the top end of the ideation and see where it fits rather than looking at the bottom end mm -hmm. and seeing where are the issues in your supply chain and what is the best solution for me to, to, to apply to, to improve that. And if actually as a result of that, I mean, and, and in the planning field, probably for me, this is the easiest one. I mean, digital in the planning arena, demand planning, demand supply planning, it's been around for many years. And all that's getting better is the algorithms behind it or the AI tools that are being used. I mean, I, I'm not sure I even think of it as AI, it's just better computing in, in the way that it's able to take data and give you suggestions of answers. But, but the reality is, you know, the skills of a demand planner 
still broadly the same as they were 20 years ago. The skills of a supply planner are still the same, you know. And uh, and you know, if we go, and, if if I go with James, and we're looking for senior executives in manufacturing, you know, big people leadership, the ability to communicate to people, to 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 inspire people, it will trump anything to do with somebody coming and saying, you know, but yeah, but I've got digital experience, you know. And on that, Don, do you still, so let's just sort of dive a bit deeper into that. So forget digital for a second and talk about site leadership and big manufacturing roles. Would you still say that, you know, somebody has to have deep technical expertise in sort of WCM and things like that? Or would you always predominantly put the leadership and change management skills as long as they've got some form of production engineering mm. background? Because it's relevant to this digital piece as well. I think much. you're right. I, 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 no. So, 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 no, you don't need to. I mean, I, I think that, that there's very much, a ch that's one of the changes, particularly over the last 20, 25 years. When I first went into manufacturing, it really was the engineers or, you know, the process engineers and people who became the shift managers, who became yeah. the production manager, who became the manufacturing manager. Okay. That is changing. And I think, you know, businesses like, and I'll mention my previous, but, you know, businesses like PepsiCo, who I worked for 10 years, you know, went a long way in, in very early on in, in sort of, this is 15 years ago, understanding that you could take somebody, you know, out of finance, you could take somebody out of, uh, uh, you know, the, the broader areas of supply chain and give them, uh, leadership experience in manufacturing because even if they were never going to be a fantastic leader in manufacturing forever that experience of leading people you know was more valuable going back into a finance or going back into uh, planning or something than actually you know the core technical fun for, uh, but, but core you know that's a rarity don't right you know that for you to take a risk like that on somebody is a rarity so the majority of companies that we work with they would say they need to have led at least two factories beforehand they need to understand x amount but i think of it's a lower i think it's a more junior level uh, I mean, look, this is more about the level. That particular question around, you know, moving people in. I mean, I, I don't think it's very rare for people to take a, a punt on somebody to, you know, I'm running a thousand person factory and I used to just be the finance person. I mean, I mean, I'm talking more you're, perhaps you're a, a, earlier in the career, but I think to your point around, you know, what's happening in when we do go and look for people coming in to manufacturing, it is less, much less about, you know, for example, I've made a point in, in my current business of, you know, it's not so important to understand the, the product. You know, you don't need to come from the small environment that is the people who make products similar to ours. You know, mm -hmm. you know, if you can make a microchip or you can put a bag of chips in a, in a, in a, in a bag, or you can put something in a bottle or you can, you know, even, you know, you, you, you can produce something for Ikea, the principles of manufacturing, if we believe it's bound to leadership and it's about, it's about you know capability and leadership you know they're going to come the best people will come through through that regardless of what they made now you know is it an advantage in speed of getting up to speed in where you're going to to have known you know making something x or y yes of course it is but in the long run it makes no it's difference to the quality and, and the, the capability of the best people the best people time and time and time again uh, and, and that expands then i think james to, to the wider supply chain the best people are predominantly leaders of people first and secondly, techni technical leaders. Now, mm -hmm. I'm sure somebody can make an example to say, well, you know, in R&D or in something here, you know, you, you need to, of course, there'll, there'll be some areas where clearly core technical competency and a career in core technical competency 
outweighs everything, you know, but but I'm I'm talking in general. In, in no, no, but I think there's a truth in that. I think in any sort of very science-backed business regulated environment, if you talk about supply chain and pharmaceuticals, for instance, or something like that, you know, I think there is less flex, right? I really do. But in, in our industry, what, what's quite interesting is that you predominantly see pharma companies wanting supply chain talents from consumer more than you see consumer companies wanting people from pharma. But do you remember 15 years ago, James, when, yeah. when, when you were you know, probably starting out recruiting, I don't know, mm. but, 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 but you, you had this debate in manufacturing between chilled and not chilled. You, know, mm -hmm. you couldn't go into chilled. You couldn't develop in chilled unless you'd been in chilled. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, I always found it bizarre that, you know, there was that, that, that technical experience in chilled, mm. fresh, you know, mm. although they, they do day one for day one deliveries. Okay. And well, it was night know, and day, and you couldn't go if I you mean, worked in one. You could. You, are you expecting me to come understand the, the 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 freezing process you have on day one? And or I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I think there was a there was a failure to look at the competencies and capabilities uh, that, that 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 needed uh, that were needed to develop and deliver to the customer at that point. And is is it, it's another curveball question? Do you think there is a um, unrealistic and unfair expectation by some line managers to look for unicorn talent across they want everything because i sometimes listen to some of these job descriptions that were some of that they, they need to understand ammonia gas releases from machinery in ice cream machines they need to understand you know have and spent time in oil and gas or at least chemicals to be world class in safety and i was do you want them to have three legs and two arms i mean i don't know what else to say because sometimes it feels like it's unrealistic as to the wish list that some of these companies depends, want. It depends who's, depends who's written the job. But, but you see, like, where does this pressure come from? Because we talk about digital. Where, where do you believe this pressure comes from? Is it genuinely from the supply chain leadership or is there somebody else in the company saying, unless you hire this, we're not doing it correctly? No, I, I think uh, I think quite often the job descriptions are almost the last thing that people get around to. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know about many of the senior supply chain leaders. I don't tend to start with a job description when I'm recruiting somebody, you know, I know we end up, I, I know we end up with one because everyone asks for one, but I, you know, I, I am almost happy to see people without a job description, a, to, to, to sort of see the person, uh, you know, you know, the individual, the way they, the way they engage, you know, and the job description for me can be loose. You know, you're going to be running logistics. It's this and it's this and it's this. I think what happens is sometimes, you know, the job description then gets developed. Um, uh, at, sometimes at a more junior level and people start to build things in that they think are important because they're looking to pad out a job description. Can you imagine we're looking for them to lead logistics? That's the job description. Yeah, it would never fly because somebody wants to, well, you know, how many warehouses is it? You know, how, how many 3PL? What's the sort of size of the value of spend? You know, what's the, oh, have they had experience of 4PL? Have they, you know, have they done uh, intercontinental? Have they done ocean freight? You know, before you know it, you, you're right. You, 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 the pick list is this long. And that's but, the it ends up limiting, right? but it ends up limiting the candidates that you can put forward. I think, I think that, and this is where, I mean, you know, I'm going to, going to blow smoke up James's backside here but but I think this is where working with a good uh, a good partner who yeah. knows you can can instantly look at some of the job descriptions you get and go okay I, I know that 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 maybe only when you start working with new people you've never met and you see a job description and you don't know how to engage with <laughs> your client in a, in a way to say is this real or is it not that but I think that's probably about who you pick to work with um, who, who can then start to understand the business better, who can then tailor the people you see 
to match you know the core competencies of the job because they also understand the type of people then the type of leadership style and competency you know because you know we know James and I's main conversations when we're looking for people is, you know, is is not actually just the core competencies of, you know, the, the what they're going to do in planning or logistics, but is, do you think this person will fit in with the culture that we have in this organization? It's probably the biggest thing yeah. we, we talk about. That's the first thing you say to me. Whenever we've worked here in the past, within three minutes of me talking about somebody, yeah, but can they work with me? Can they work with our yeah. culture? Are they going to fit? Can they work with me? I think that's, that's probably the first thing James thinks about. Uh, listen, yeah. listen, so uh, we're running out of time, but I want to leave on the following note. Um, if it, And this is a bit of a loaded question, isn't it? It's going to be hard to answer in such a short period, but what would you say are the key skills that supply chain leaders need to focus on and fixate on, uh, perhaps uh, as in, you know the top most important things today? Dunk, start okay. with you. Okay. Um, well, I mean, if we put aside the technology, so let's just talk about core. I mean, I think um, probably the you know. Without saying it's the same as it's always been, because it broadly is, but I think if we were sort of say where is it elevated to today more than ever, I think the 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 pressure on working capital, the pressure to make capital do more for you, the fact that you know uh, supply chain is now is more more than and actually more than ever, I think this is true rather than it just being time. I think more than ever, supply chain expected to contribute to the to the margin accretion. So you know your costs might be going up, but they're going up less than inflation or the your ability to take price. You know, with those two areas, pr- probably the, the 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 need for demand planning to be significantly more integrated with the rest of the business, the finance and the commercial side, to give one number, one, you know, one, one version of the truth when you're looking at consumer demand, to, for that demand to then be, to, to flow through to supply planning. That's, I've seen that becoming you know, more and more necess- necessary to, to, to dial up what the expectation. You know, it's not that demand planning has never been has, has, has not been important it has but I, I think demand planning is more and more becoming uh, a, a necessity to deliver inventory reduction you know and, and ultimately a, a view of the end-to-end supply chain cost the other part I would say is that just improving little bits in manufacturing is no longer acceptable I think a complete visual of lean manufacturing you know how do you make sure that your manufacturing footprint your your asset management within your factories is as lean as it can be from the assets to the waste levels to the deployment of people uh, and again I, I think the pressure on that's building just around that whole PL and balance sheet uh, pressure from 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 businesses that's probably what COVID has shown as well yeah, and just, just quickly to add, I mean, I'll add on to your last point. I mean, the biggest thing that we're seeing that has changed is that there is less focus on the technical need and more about sort of overall business acumen and commerciality. Yep. I think it's fair to say that, you know, a fairly standard, strong operator manufacturing talent could probably get um, quite far in their career without really needing to do that. Whereas actually, Correct. the business is now are seeing supply chain more as a top line enabler. And I think they really need to understand PL management, they need some working capital, as you said, they really need to understand how to communicate with the marketeers, with the RD yep. team, with packaging, etc. So I think it's um, the three key skills that I look for. Number one is listening. It sounds really obvious. Um, 
But unless you can listen and unless you can understand other people's and other functions in the businesses, you know, issues and, and, and sort of bottlenecks, then you'll never truly be a great supply chain leader. Because the minute you think it's just about supply chain, then you've failed already. I think that's one important part. Um, the second part for me is collaboration, which falls in point with that. You know, it really does fall directly to, to, to that piece. And that, what I mean by collaboration is not just with your direct peers, but that sort of strategic leadership piece. So with the areas of the business that aren't necessarily in your wheelhouse or in your direct line of sight, and being able to actually influence and build followership around, you know, within the matrix somewhere. I think that's mm -hmm. a key part. And, and on the business acumen piece, it's around, to your point, Dunk, you know, demand planners traditionally or, or supply planners traditionally, very almost analytical, you know, highly sort of functioning type people that are almost, you know, matrix-like crunching numbers. And I still think there's a part and a place for that. I really do. But unfortunately, that's part of the role that I think will become more digital and more run by computers. Agreed. Agreed. But what I think these individuals that are in that space need to really think about how can I differentiate myself is how do you articulate what you see to the business? How do you communicate the results of this data and speak to the chief marketing officer or the chief customer officer or the CFO, whatever it might be? And I think that's the biggest thing is how do you actually articulate what you're doing in supply chain to the rest of the business? They're, they're, they're the definite three big things that I always look for in a, in a modern leader. Agreed. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for being part of this uh, conversation. I think uh, I, I think we've taken certainly quite a lot out of it and uh, uh, we'll try to do better as well in terms of just not focusing on just digital transformation, focusing on the wider conversation of supply chain. So uh, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of the Transform TV podcast and, and no doubt we're going to have you again. Doug, James, thanks so much. Perfect. Thanks, Maria. Cheers, Doug. Thank you. Cheers, James. Thank you so Bye. much, everyone. And for those of you watching, we'll see you again at the next one. Thank <laughs> you.